Listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant newsmaking issues and individuals. Sponsored by Greenberg Traurig, LLP. My guest is Faisal Guya, who has been Tunisia's ambassador to the United States for the last two years. This is not the ambassador's first stint in D.C. as he was posted there and held what seems like every position in the embassy, from cultural and press officer, economic counselor, and deputy chief of mission. He also attended the U.S. National Defense University and the National Defense Institute in Tunis. Prior to coming to Washington as ambassador, he also served as secretary of state for foreign affairs. Welcome. Thank you very much. Many uh, of our listeners know I've been particularly excited about having you here because I spent my high school years in your wonderful country. Thank you very much, Jim. This is uh, a very nice invitation. I'm very excited to be here in Dallas. And uh, you remember we've been talking about this visit a few months ago, and uh, now I'm here. Well, I know our members are looking forward to hearing your remarks in a, a few minutes. I wanted to start our conversation by asking you to reflect back. Where were you in December 2010? In December 2010, I was in Tunis. I just came back from Jakarta. I finished my tenure in Jakarta, five years. I was back on September 1st, and I had a month and a half leave. So I was back to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs on November 2010, and a month later, there was the Boazizi incident. Right, and that, of course, is when the young fruit vendor self-immolated. Did you have any idea that it could erupt into what it did? Nobody expected what happened exactly. But personally, I was expecting something to happen. Because of the WikiLeaks and some of the other things that had happened before? Because of many events Mm -hmm. and many stories I've heard about the regime and the anger I can feel in the streets, in the cafes of Tunis and other cities when I discuss with people. And I had a group of friends We walk together every other day, and they are all high-ranked people, and they are very experienced people. And we were talking about something, a change in Tunisia, coming soon, but when we didn't know. So when it happened, we all said, yes, uh, it was expected because the regime was collapsing and the president at that time didn't do anything to arrange the situation or to give Tunisians... And of course, that's President Ben Ali, who had been in office for, what, 23 years. years. The last years of his reign and of his regime The situation was extremely bad on all levels, politically, economically, socially, and people were anger, especially... And human rights. Especially with lack of democracy, lack of liberties, and lack of... and corruption. Uh, Corruption, I think, reached certain levels that Tunisians cannot accept anymore. Now... In this country, it's widely called the Arab Spring. Yes. I often say it's the Arab Blizzard. But uh, in Tunisia, they refer to it as the Dignity Revolution. Absolutely. We call it the revolution of freedom and dignity. Why freedom and dignity? Freedom because, especially for the last years of Ben Ali's regime, Tunisians were kept in jail. So people were looking for liberty. Dignity because any Tunisians who want to explain or express himself, his destiny is jail. So people were looking for dignity because they feel that their dignity is really depressed. 
Tunisia is still considered a fragile democracy, but it is viewed as the most successful, especially when you look at what's happened in Egypt, Libya, and of course Syria. What are the distinguishing characteristics in Tunisia that has given it a higher chance of real success? I think few factors. I, I will mention four or five of them. Uh, first of all, we have a very important educated political elite. Tunisia has institutions, dislike uh, other countries that have no institutions. Tunisia has strong institutions. The role of women is very important, is crucial. Whenever their rights or the family rights or the civil rights in general, they feel concerned and they get into streets, etc. Fourth, the civil society. In Tunisia, we have a strong, vibrant, and dynamic civil society that uh, represents the check and balance between population and the government. And uh, fifth, we have an educated population. It's very important. People are aware of their civil rights, are aware of the political situation. They want a change and they are asking for a change. The change didn't come peacefully, so they got into the streets to ask for freedom and dignity and they thrown out the head of state and they collapsed the regime and they imposed the uh, revolution. I hear you, but there's still significant security issues. Just this week, Monday, PBS NewsHour did a eight-minute story talking about the jihadists. Mm -hmm. And some 6,000, according to the United Nations, have come from Tunisia. Why do you think that's the case? And also, how do you go about now bringing them back into the country or reincorporating, or do they stay in jail? I'm not sure about the statistics or the number. I'm just saying what I saw in the UN. It's not 100% But sure. in any event, Tunisia has the highest number. The number is given by our authorities, and we, have, we are tracking these people, and uh, we know more or less the majority of them. They are, of course, police in Tunisia has their records. They are less than 3,000. The exact number that was given, 2,970 people. Why are there so many? Why there are so many? It's a good question. It's, it's not about the number. There can be 10,000 Tunisians. The question is why these young people are adopting an extremist thinking, an extremist uh, way of life, and uh, they are fighting for devil. So uh, that's the question. About the number of Tunisians, first of all, during the 23 years of regime dictatorship in Tunisia, youth was marginalized. Second, they lack opportunities. They have no hope yeah. in the future. Third, their religious education is very weak, so they can be influenced and brainwashed very quickly. Fourth, most of them are poor young people, and these organizations Daesh, Al-Qaeda, and all these uh, terrorist groups have enormous amounts of money, and they are uh, giving generously to these uh, young people to hire them. Last, some of these young people are looking for an ideal. They have no hope, and they are looking for something. Some of them would like to confirm themselves. Some of them are dreaming of something, of and, heaven. And, and or we know that many of them now want to come back and leave ISIS. So how do you handle that? Oh, we have, we have a strategy. 
A whole strategy is, uh, is put together by the government, by the civil society also in Tunisia. First of all, if they return back to the country and try to hide and try to get in without getting to the police, then they are tracked and they are tried. For those who introduce themselves or give up and go to the police, they are tried also, but we consider that they are ready to leave their ideology and ideas and their wrongdoing. For those who try to continue their evil behavior, of course, the police is ready now to, to track them and to arrest them and 700 people are already arrested and they are jailed and they will face court and they, they will face fair uh, trials because of belonging to uh, terrorist groups. Well, I want to end on a brighter note. Tunisia, <laughs> Tunisia is one of the most beautiful countries in the world. The beaches, the Roman antiquities, Carthage, and yet there has been questions about Tunisia's security Tourism is up now, I gather. Yes. Tell our audience whether or not it's safe for them to go to Tunisia. I can tell them that Tunisia is safe. The last terrorist attack was nearly two years ago. Is that two right? years ago, let's say a year and a half ago. At this time, there is no zero risk in the world. Nowhere. Zero risk doesn't exist anymore. Uh, exists everywhere in the world. But I can tell your audience that Tunisia is safe. Tunisia is pleasant. Tunisia is highly welcoming its visitors and tourists, and Tunisia is offering to any visitor the best of itself and of its people and of its resorts and of its beaches and Sahara, etc. So I advise and I uh, uh, encourage every everybody to everybody, go to Tunisia. Everybody from the United States and elsewhere I bet elsewhere people would be surprised about the length of the friendship between Tunisia and the United States. Many people don't know that uh, the Tunisian-American relations are old and long-standing. We've been friends for the last 220 years. The first agreement between the two countries was signed in July 1797. This July, I'm organizing a few events to celebrate this beautiful uh, anniversary. Well, we're very glad you were with us here in Dallas today. Thanks so much for being our guest on Global IQ Minute. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Subscribe and rate Global IQ Minute on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org. Global IQ Minute is sponsored by Greenberg Traurig LLP, a global firm with 2,000 attorneys in 38 offices across the globe. Visit the firm at gtlaw.com.